0: Greetings and welcome to Witnesses of the King. Witnesses of the King, and we're in part 45 of this series, that is an exposition of the Book of Acts. And this one we're going to call Shipwreck. We're in Acts chapter 27. And in this one, which I believe to be one of the most exciting chapters of the Bible, we find Paul on his journey to Rome. And having this journey interrupted by a shipwreck, by a great storm that drives their ship out to sea, And we find here a very challenging situation for Paul and all the people that are with him. Some 276 people aboard whose lives are spared by God uh, in the midst of this storm. And the miracle that we're going to see take place is simply Paul being Christian in a difficult situation. And so we're going to find immediate application to all of us. We will not be spiritualizing the text. We'll be principalizing the text. And we'll see that Paul's behavior in the midst of this storm and in this situation is no less than what God would have any of us do in the given situation. And so tremendous encouragement in Acts chapter 27 Paul takes us on a bit of an adventure. And I want you to think about this that since Genesis chapter 12, way back in the beginning of the Bible, the Bible has been primarily focused in this little strip of land on the edge of the Mediterranean known as Israel, the promised land, and its immediate surroundings. We spent a little time in the Old Testament in Egypt, we spent a little time in exile in Babylon. Uh, Jonah had an excursion up to Nineveh in uh, Assyria. But other than that, it's been pretty well focused on this small piece of land. But Paul, in the book of Acts, has taken us all the way to Europe. He has taken us through Asia Minor. And now he's going to take us all the way halfway across the Mediterranean uh, to Rome. And so a uh, very profound adventure that we're on, an exciting thing, something unique in the Bible That we're going to see. And I want you to note as we read all of Luke's great details. You'll see from verse 1 that Luke is accompanying Paul on this journey. And so he's partaking of this adventure with him along with a brother uh, from Macedonia named Aristarchus. And as we'll see, we'll see that Luke's account is technically very accurate. I want to share with you the uh, map here that we see and the map looks like this uh, where we've got a uh, map of the Mediterranean and if we zoom in on that what we're going to see is many places named along their route and you can see their route along the middle uh, where they have left Caesarea up to Sidon around the Cyprus um, over to Mira and the other places that are mentioned by Luke And these are places that are discoverable. These are places that are known. And Luke's account is flawless in all of this. And we see it's uh, technically accurate also according to what we see on the ship. And we see on the ship... um, the uh, technical aspects of how the ship is run and when the anchors are dropped and and what they do to try to survive the storm and things like this. These details are, are clearly an eyewitness account of these things and it makes it, of course, very exciting. Now, the sea and storms and these things in particular have particular significance that we'll talk about after we read the, uh, the scripture here. And we want to start by reading chapter 27 all the way through. And I want you to take a look at this. And I want you to have in the back back of your mind this that the storms and the sea carried with them much superstition, much fear. They came, they, they represent in the Bible very often chaos, the seas do, and then shipping, therefore, and, and being sailing and, and on the seas represent then inherent danger and by putting yourself at the mercy of the sea. And we're going to see here that indeed this is what happens. This is a, They are at the mercy of the seas in this. So here's what we find in chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sa- to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia, There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the Lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow They could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kauta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, and after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among the men and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have set sail from Crete, and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship." When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered The ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all two hundred and seventy-six persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a, a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. The hoist, then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran a vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this account. We thank you for your servant Paul. We thank you, Lord, for what we intend to learn today from these things, from the example of your servant, Paul, and from the principles of your scripture. Send your Holy Spirit to us to give us understanding of these things, for these important things are spiritually discerned. And Lord, we pray that you on this will build your church and that you indeed will encourage your people to take a stand in the storms and to be faithful and to trust in you. We thank you, Lord, for your great care for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, that's an exciting account, and and yes, it's a long chapter, but I feel like it it has to be taken in one stroke. It has to be handled all together. And as we I mentioned earlier, the sea, if we look at it in the Bible, is often associated with chaos. It is the home of the creature Leviathan, representative of of the chaos of. The fallen world. The sea was largely avoided by the Jews throughout the Bible, and it, it was a place of much fear that, that carried much fear and suspicion. We see in Revelation chapter thirteen we see the sea beast, the beast that comes out of the sea, uh, as representing the chaos systems of the world and the chaos systems of man, and. This uh idea is so strong that even in revelation chapter twenty one we're encouraged that in the new heavens and the new earth there'll be no sea in other words there'll be no chaos to threaten god's order and this is a powerful image that we see, and as you search the scriptures and you chase down the idea of seas or of storms, you'll learn a great deal when we look at the idea of storms in the bible and and in the ancient near east uh, we We see that in the superstitions of false religions in the uh, Near East and around Israel, and things like that, that they often believed the storms to be the gods bringing wrath or battling one another in some way. Of course, the Jews didn't believe this because they didn't believe any other gods, but they said, really, these are demons rebelling against God's created order. It was the demons, according to the Jews, that... that had tricked other cultures into worshiping them as gods, and that they came in, in the form of storms to challenge the sovereignty of God. Now, God, of course, they believed, was always subduing these things, always limiting the impact of storms, and always, after all, in charge over all these things. Shipwrecks themselves, not only in the biblical culture, but in the culture throughout the world, have been used as a metaphor for great loss, be it economic loss, be it uh, loss of life even. Uh, Paul uses them as an example of a disaster of faith, as he says in 1 Timothy. He refers to some people rejecting the truth and making a shipwreck of their faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, he speaks of how we ought to be unified in the truth and not be as children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And so Paul used these experiences to, uh, to express these great truths, a shipwreck being a, uh, a, a symbol of massive loss, of great difficulty. Now one thing we know is that Paul had been shipwrecked at least three times before He had written the letter of 2 Corinthians before going on this voyage and he says here that uh, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. So this is Paul's at least fourth shipwreck that's accounted here in Acts chapter 27 and perhaps that's why he's able to... Uh, he's able to give advice saying, no, I don't think we ought to go right at this time because uh, he knew it was a bad time. And perhaps that was from experience. Perhaps that was the cause of uh, one of his other shipwrecks before. And interestingly, this is the only one that's accounted in detail in the scriptures. And it's probably because Luke was with him. As it says in chapter 27, verse 1, Luke, who is the author of the scriptures, puts, it, puts this in the first person plural. Uh, we should set sail for Italy. So he is with Paul during all of this. And so we have then an exciting chapter. And theologically, There's really no new ground here, but what we see and what we do learn is we have Paul in a situation, and we get to see how Paul is going to live out his faith in this situation, and by doing so, he gives us an example, and so as we take the the storm and we take the shipwreck and, and I talk about the storms of life that we all encounter, I don't want you to think that I'm spiritualizing the text. I'm principalizing the text in this. Here is a believer in Jesus Christ in a difficult situation with believers and unbelievers alike. And so this is an example to us of how we ought to be. The first thing that we need to understand here is we need to understand that storms come. Storms come. It's just a simple fact of life. And whether it's a a literal storm or whether it's some other difficulty in life, You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have no guarantees that you're not going to have a storm in your life, a difficulty in your life. You just have promises to get you through them. And there's some great blessedness in living the Christian life. There is some great benefit. There are some storms that we avoid by nature of being Christian. As God delivers us from many of the sins that control our lives, we avoid many of the general consequences of sin, and yet we're still subject to the normal things of life that everyone encounters. Natural disasters and disease and death and war and famines affect believer and unbeliever similarly. We live side by side with Christians and non-Christians. The difference is how we get through these difficulties. The storm, I want to point out, was not Paul's fault. He warned against going at this time. If we look over there at verses 10 and 11, we see his warning in which he says to them, uh, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And so he fears uh, for their lives. But look at verse 11, the centurion who had charge of Paul and the prisoners. And here's a point you need to understand. The centurion was his own sovereign. He was in charge of himself, the other soldiers with him. He wouldn't be alone. And the prisoners that he had, verse 1 told us that there were other prisoners with Paul. And so the centurion had all rights to refuse passage on this ship, to take another ship, to wait out the winter in this place. Uh, But he's persuaded in verse 11 there by the owner of the ship and to the ship's pilot. And so Paul suffers along with the centurion and everyone else in this situation because of someone else's bad decision making. And so wintering uh, or traveling this time of year was known as being dangerous. This is the late fall and winter would be right out as you know they have no intention of traveling in the winter but even the fall is very dicey on the open seas in the mediterranean so the centurion in charge of paul uh, goes with the owner and with the pilot and here's the thing we need to understand about this is what are the intentions what are the motivations of the people involved Well, the owner of the ship stands to profit when it's brought into port with its cargo. He is anxious to get going. He is anxious to protect his ship in a better harbor. There was some risk to staying in the harbor in which they were for a large ship like this to winter. There was a better harbor in the city of Phoenix just further down the shore. Of Crete, and that's where they decide to go. It's a compromise, if you will. You know, okay, well, we're we're obviously not going to make it to Rome. Let's at least get over to Phoenix, where there's a better harbor for us to winter in. And so, uh, but Paul perceives greater risk in leaving at all. So they are uh, they they head out to Phoenix. They're blown away from the uh, from the shoreline. They're following the shoreline. They're blown away from it from what's called a nor'easter, because they're on the south side of Crete at this time. And they go right past Phoenix and out into the open sea, where they're driven along helpless. That's when the pressure's really on. And the storm begins to reveal the character of those involved. And what we see in the men, uh, uh, what we see is the men fighting for their lives. The men are actually they're struggling in a life and death struggle and as we see this um, when it comes right down to it their priorities are changed. Their priorities get rearranged. They begin to throw over some of the cargo which is some of the things that they would stand to profit from and some of the things that they use and some of their personal possessions. They begin to dump those things and then in In uh, verse 19, we see that they begin to dump over even some of the ship's tackle. This would be all the non-essential equipment and spare rope and, and spare parts and things like that. They begin to throw these things over. And then finally, of course, they get rid of the ship's boat, which was a smaller vessel that they would pull along in order to go ashore in places that didn't have docks. So when they had lost hope, Paul receives this great vision and we see his perfect faith in that vision and he trusts God to be true to his word in this confidence it is that Paul speaks up shares God's message the vision that he had been given and Paul effectively takes charge at this point now negatively we see the selfishness of some revealed as we see in verse 30 as they go along uh we find some of the uh, sailors lowering the boat to escape. But the centurion had the soldiers to cut it away and drop it into the sea. So, positively, they do this by faith. Now, here's something you may have missed in all of this excitement. The soldiers are not supposed to be in charge here. They are upon a ship. They are guests on the ship. They are paying passengers on the ship. It's the sailors who are in charge. And yet, by order of Paul, the soldiers intervene and actually cut away the ship's boat. And so this is there's a tension here. There's a drama here and a tension between the authority that's in charge here. And here these sailors were seeking to escape. And then what is effectively a conflict, the, the soldiers come along and under the orders of Paul, cut away the boat without permission of the pilot or the owner. But by God's great grace, God spared all 276 aboard. Because see, Paul's or God's plan was to bring Paul to Rome. And he tells Paul this on two other occasions prior to this voyage that he is going to testify about him in Rome. And then he makes it more specific this time to Caesar's court. And so he's going to testify before Caesar. And so that means at least Paul's going to survive this. But by grace, God would say, okay, well, your companions, Aristarchus and Luke and the others with you are, are going to survive this. So that would be three or more people. And oh, yeah, he's got to go there under guard. So the centurion is going to be spared. The centurion has been kind to Paul in allowing him to be ministered to at Sidon, in listening to him in these situations in trying to save his life uh, when the other soldiers were thinking to to kill the prisoners. And so the centurion here should be spared, right? So that's maybe four people, maybe a few more. But by the grace of God, he spares all 276. Now, some might look at this and might be tempted to say, how is that grace? All 276 of these people were alive when they got on the boat. And they're alive when they get off the boat and they get ashore. But now they're without their personal possessions. They're without their cargo, which was their profit. They're without their ship, which was their potential for future profit. You know, all this is, by every measure, by every worldly measure, a disaster. But this is a grace of God because all human beings perish. All human beings have upon themselves the death sentence that sin carries. And so God, by his great grace, uh, not only preserves the lives of these people, but testifies to them of himself and the truth of Paul's gospel by delivering them from these things. Think about this. Paul was given great credibility by his warning being proven true. He told them, let's not leave Crete. I see that this is going to be bad. Then Paul was able to point to God as the one who was saving them. Did Paul preach the gospel during this time? We don't have it accounted in the chapter. But the question is, did he actually preach to them the gospel about faith in Jesus Christ for salvation from sin and eternal life and all those things? Look, he was Paul. He certainly had preached the gospel to them, even when the weather was good. But now, all the more, God has given him this tremendous sign, a fulfilled prophecy in which Paul says all of us are going to survive, not one of us. And it comes to the point that the ship is torn apart on the reef, that they all have to swim for their lives to shore, and they all make it in fulfillment of what Paul had revealed to him by God. Now, they're shipwrecked on the island of Malta for months. You read into the next chapter and you find out about that. Is there any way that they did not hear the gospel from Paul then? Surely one of them is going to be curious and say, Paul, explain to us what has happened here. Explain to us who you are and who this God is that saved us from the storm. One of them, more of them, some of them are going to ask that and all of them are going to hear the gospel. This is grace abounding. And this is another truth about all the storms of life is that all of them contain opportunity for grace. And when we find ourselves in a storm of life, we are to look around for it. Look for what God is doing because he is doing something. When storms come, God is working with every single person involved. He's working in believers to perfect their character, to improve their service to him, to exercise their faith. Faith is to the believer like a muscle that must be exercised and strengthened over time. And God provides opportunities and difficulties to do so. That is why James can come along and say, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that it produces steadfastness. And, and Peter can say the same thing, and Paul can say the same thing in Romans 8, that difficulties perfect us, difficulties bring us along. And it's never just about one person, and it's never just about the believers. In unbelievers, in the storms of life, he is pressing them to a decision, to trust in him. Now, of course, many harden their hearts against that, and their hearts are hardened. But that is also a benefit of the storm. It shows who is true and who is not. It's never about any one given person, because when we read Acts chapter 27... The temptation is to think this is all about Paul and what God is doing for Paul. Look how God saves Paul. But we have to consider what he's doing in others. What about Luke? What about Aristarchus through all of this? What about how many of the men come to faith in this? And then the centurion who's already shown kindness to Paul, who's already somehow impressed by Paul, that he is trustworthy, that Paul is different, to the point where he lets Paul leave his company and go and be ministered to by his friends in Sidon. And now this Paul is shown this favor of God. You know, some of those people on that ship became believers that day. And what you'll see in the next chapter is many of the people of Malta become believers that day. And believers in Malta to this very day credit this visitation of Paul as being part of their salvation journey. This is incredible. Our focus in the midst of a storm must be upon God to trust in him. In the midst of all storms, we have to be aware that God is there and he's keeping his promises to his people, not to keep us from storms, but to keep us through storms. And he is also working in the other living souls around us. Christian, if you are in difficulty this day, look around you because others are in the difficulty with you, and this is your chance to minister to them as Paul ministered to those around him. Intercede for them in prayer. Encourage them with the truth of the gospel and be strong for them. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he will carry you along in the midst of any storm. You are God's chosen instrument in the situation in which you find yourself. No matter the cause of the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter the details of the situation, the situation could be entirely your fault. But if you are in Christ, there is purpose in God for you in your situation to come through it with Him. I want you to also understand this, and this is from Matthew chapter 16. The, this great truth about believers in Jesus Christ, and look at this in Matthew chapter 16, as Peter makes his great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he says, you're right, and God's revealed this to you, and on this rock I will build my church. Oh, Look what he says about the church. He says, I will give you, and that you is a plural, indicating all disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This binding and this loosing is referring to souls, referring to salvation. Because Jesus is talking about building his church. And he's talking about people, not buildings. He's talking about people and not a, a philosophy or a way of life. He is talking about living souls. And those living souls are bound in heaven through the work of the church exclusively. Believer, in your situation, you might be the only one with the gospel truth. And it may be up to you to share that gospel truth. It's always a command and it's always right to do. And so this is the opportunity we have for grace. And I want to uh, say the encouragement is very simply this, to be God's person in the storm. Be God's person in the storm. Be the one that can be looked to for answers. Why is this happening? And then you can address them. Well, bad things happen because sin has come into the world and how we deal with it is whether we're going to come to Christ or not. You can be the explanation for that. And you can talk about repentance and trusting in Jesus Christ for the salvation of souls. When you find yourself in the storms of life, and not necessarily the literal ones, our storms are usually less dramatic, usually not life-threatening. Sometimes our storms are in the forms of family problems that we have, and strife, and difficulty, and fighting, and abuse, and even addiction in our families. Those are storms of life, every bit as dangerous as a literal storm. And maybe the storm is something as, as simple as mental illness, which is not simple to anybody that knows anything about it maybe it's just despair maybe it's a, an economic disaster of unemployment uh poverty in general be the rock of safety in those storms and for the people around you and be this this beacon of truth this beacon of light in the midst of the storm uh be as if it were a lighthouse though it's uh though it's It's encumbered and and bashed by the waves in every way. It yet still stands there as a testimony to what the truth is, to a safe harbor uh, or a warning of the rocks that are around. This is the Christian life. So what can we do to be God's person in the storm? First of all, be prepared. Meet God in the calm seas. And meet God whenever you can and strengthen your faith in him. Take every opportunity to grow in faith. That is to meet with the people of God and to explore the Bible together and to pray together and to practice the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Because for us, we may not receive a vision. We probably won't receive a vision. There'll not be an angel come stand beside us and give us a promise that we're going to get through the storm. And there's no promise that you will get through the storm. The storm may take you, but God has you in his hands and you ultimately will be delivered over to him. So we don't necessarily have this promise of getting through it. We don't necessarily have an angel to encourage us. We may have no security in the difficulty we have. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed to finish out the day today. But what I want you to focus on as believer in Jesus Christ are the promises that you do have. You have a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ himself to never leave you nor forsake you. You have a promise of Jesus Christ to give you the necessities of life when you seek first his kingdom, as it says in Matthew 6.33. You have a promise that he will keep you in his hand, that he will not let you go. You have a promise that he will bring the word of God to your remembrance in the day when you need it. He has the promise to be found by you when he is sought. That's right, Jesus promises his people that he will be found when we seek him. He also has a promise that he will answer prayers that we make to him in his name and according to his will. He will not test you beyond what you are able to do, but when you are Throwing yourself upon him in trust and in faith, you are able to endure all things. And Jesus will not break these promises, and he will not break them because of your great value. See, you are a human being, and you are created as the image of God. And therefore, you have intrinsic value. Your value is not in the possessions you have or the position you have here on earth or even, even in your ability to do good and your innate abilities and even your dedication to him. Your, your inherent value is that you are a living being created as the image of God. Not only that, but if you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, your value is measured by the blood of Christ himself, the perfect son of God who came and offered himself without sin in our place under the wrath of God to pay the price for those sins. And by faith in him, we are saved. And so that is our value. By faith, God's people can thrive in the storms of life When God moves forward his plans. By faith, God's people can thrive even in the storms of life while God continues to move forward his plans. If you seek his face, he will be found. If you hand over your burdens, they will be taken. If you need strength or patience or perseverance or kindness or wisdom or compassion or knowledge or self-control, he will give it to you. And you might say to yourself, I don't know if I can be that person. I don't know if I can be like Paul. But I want you to notice something Paul did that every single one of us can do. And this is the simplest thing that's found in the entire passage that he did. After After he stood up and testified what God did, he took the bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Here they are, all fearing for their lives. And the profound insanity from a worldly perspective of Christians is that even in the midst of that situation, we can give thanks to God. He gives thanks to God for the bread. They still have bread. He's like, yeah, we have bread and let's eat it. And he gives thanks to God, a simple act of worship, even in the midst of the storm. When we can raise our eyes to heaven and we can thank God for whatever, in the midst of the storm, we are a living testimony of his reality, of the fact that he is and that he is good and that the storm ultimately in all things measures up to nothing in his sight. But the worship of his people, it's loved by God is cherished by God, is a pleasing aroma to God. And Paul lifts up this great sacrifice of praise to God for his provision in the midst of the storm. We can at least do that. And by doing that, brothers and sisters, you will be an encouragement to those around you. You will be the testimony of those that who does not lose faith in the midst of a storm that will give people pause, What is with this person? What must their God be like that in the midst of this, they can still praise him? They can still thank him. That's what we can do to be God's person in the midst of the storm. Let's pray about that. Father God, we praise you this day and we thank you for your servant Paul. We thank you for his steadfastness even in the midst of a storm. And Lord, we pray that we can follow this example. We read the scriptures and they increase our faith. We meet with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you and it increases our faith. May we partake of those things frequently. May we come together in praise of you. We thank you for your continued ministry by your Spirit through all your people and through all the ages of all the different storms that everyone has gone through, Lord. We know that you are working to bring many people to faith just as you were bringing Paul to Rome. Lord, we thank you for your great work and your encouragement. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you, and I encourage you to contact us if you have any uh, questions, if you need to find a church near you, if you're curious about what your next step of faith might be, or you're struggling with an issue, we can pray for you, we can minister to you, we can answer your questions. Even if you have objections or disagreements with things that we've said here, uh, contact us, and and we can explain ourselves, and we can hear you out, and, and we can come together on the truth of God's Word. And so uh, feel free to contact us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. That's whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com, where you can find more sermons and more information at whitesrun.org, whitesrun.org. Well, God bless you. I hope that uh, this day finds you well and that you are blessed by it.